Hello and welcome to Wealth of Knowledge. I'm your host, Antonio Barbera, and today we're continuing our Leaders Talk series with U.S. News Executive Chairman Eric Gertler. Eric, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. This is part three in our five-part series of interviews that Eric and U.S. News President and CEO Bill Holliber conducted while at the World Economic Forum Conference in Davos, Switzerland. Please check out parts one and two for more of these great interviews. In the first interview we'll get to today, Eric, you spoke with Nola Weinstein, Global Head of Culture and Experiential Marketing at Twitter. You asked Nola about culture and leadership driving a company. Why was that something you wanted to discuss and why specifically with someone from Twitter? So when I think about leadership, and specifically you think about presidential leadership, it has been those leaders that have understood the communication tools of their time that have shown great success. And we can go back to FDR and radio or John F. Kennedy and television or Reagan understanding the advertising medium. And then, you know, our recent presidents, Barack Obama understanding social media, and then Donald Trump as well, understanding social media and his audience at a whole other level. And I think that in that context, it was important to talk to Nola Weinstein and get a sense of how a company that is itself a communication tool, how that company in particular thinks about communicating and leading at the same time. And that really is an opportunity to understand what we mean by communicating in the 21st century. And I think that's why it was important to talk to Nola. What did you take away from that conversation and what do you think the, the listener should really try to take away? So, first of all, she is global head of culture at Twitter. And I thought it was fascinating listening to her views of, of culture in a quintessential 21st century company. And that the idea that culture is everything and the environment and the principles in which employees are operating are essential. So that confluence of communication with culture, I think is a really interesting take um, within this interview. The second thing which, which we talked on is that this is a communication tool. And one of the keys of, of leadership is connecting and communicating with your base, whether it's your employees, whether it is citizens that may vote, whatever your constituency is, and understanding how this tool is being used within Twitter to communicate and connect and engage, I think was very fascinating. And, and then lastly, I liked her perspective on leaders that are forward-looking and, and futuristic because Twitter was started by an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs you know, uniquely think about, about the future and about creating an innovation and getting that perspective was, again, I think, important for our audience to understand. Coming up is Eric's interview from Davos with Twitter's global head of culture and experiential marketing, Nola Weinstein. It's a new, relatively new concept. What is experiential marketing? It's a great question. Uh, experiential marketing is essentially designing events, experiences, in real life activations that enable consumers and our users to get closer to what Twitter is all about. Part of what my team does is we manifest Twitter in the real world. So Twitter is what's happening and what people are talking about right now. And we try and bring to life the best conversations happening in real time. 
and also connect communities who may be talking to each other constantly on Twitter but never meet face to face. We cultivate community in the real world as well and enable them to carry that conversation forward and bring it back on platform. Let's get to the second part, or, the, or really the first part of your title, culture. Um, tell us why culture is so important in a company and how does leadership drive culture in a company? Culture is everything. Um, we live in, in crazy times, especially at Twitter. We function at the speed of our feed. The world is happening on Twitter. Sometimes it feels like Twitter is everywhere in the world, and that affects our employees in real meaningful ways. So what our leaders stand for matters. What is our purpose? What are our principles? And that shapes culture. If you have a leader, as we do, that is transparent, empathetic, human, engaged, that is felt by employees in good times and bad. And they are more likely to align with a leader whose purpose they agree with, what they stand for. That there's something very powerful and resonant about having leaders who are engaged and willing to step up for what matters. And our CEO does that every day. And as head of internal comms and culture as well, my team is focused on ensuring our people are receiving information early, that their conversations are healthy, that they can trust the information that they're receiving and trust our leadership. And in turn, culture is strong and healthy. And in this case, very much communicated from the top. And then also other leaders in the company are continuing to reinforce that message. How has it felt throughout? Our leaders are, of course, very active on Twitter. But more than that, we have a variety of communications channels that we leverage to ensure our people at our 33 offices around the world are constantly informed and simultaneously informed. So whether you're in Detroit or Dubai, you are privy to the same information. You know, San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, DC, Paris, Tokyo, Singapore. Um, whether you've been at the company for 10 years or 10 days, we want to make sure everyone is included, engaged, and has a sense of belonging. We have something called Periscope. It's live broadcasting. So Jack and our leadership team go live on Periscope once a week for live Q&As with the company. It's a private broadcast, but employees are able to share what's on their mind and ask anything. And this forum is, is ongoing, and people know if something's top of mind, you'll have the opportunity to ask, and it will be answered. We also have something called Tea Time. Um, one Friday a month, employees gather to talk about what's happened, to connect with one another, and to share the wins. Recently, we had an event called One Team. It was a full company gathering, first time we've ever done anything like this. It was highly ambitious. For what, three days, last summer in San Francisco, every employee gathered in one place at one time. And Jack took to the stage and shared his new purpose for the company, our principles. And the focus was on who we are, where we're going, and how we work. Got it. And in addition to that, of course, it's business. We wanted everything to be global, conversational, and fun. And now, instead of that one team being one event that happens and is over, every month we have a one team meeting to keep people connected and informed. So we know that successful leaders have to communicate very clearly. But what we've also seen over the years is that the leader that understands the new medium often becomes, in many ways, the most successful leader. I think of you know, FDR is he mastered radio or JFK mastering television. Twitter is the new medium. Um, talk a little bit about how leaders are using Twitter. And I know that you have developed a program to help business executives use Twitter as a form of communication. So how have they been using it and how have they been successful? So Twitter is an extremely powerful communication tool where business leaders are essentially able to give unfiltered access to the world. You know, 
all of us work at companies where great things are happening daily and there will not always be an article about that or a quote will not always be interpreted as you hope. So Twitter enables you to share your message without barrier directly to the world. You are able to shape the conversation. Um, one of the reasons we hear business leaders are most eager to join the platform is to talk to their employees, to connect. It's whether you have 10 employees or 10,000, it's easy for an employee to feel disconnected from their leadership. Twitter enables employees to know what their business leader stands for. Now more than ever, employees want to work for leaders. Individuals want to buy from leaders who are active on social and sharing where they stand on the issues that matter. Um, business leaders are using it to not only connect with employees, but to connect to customers. And that doesn't mean responding to every tweet they receive. It means listening and learning and understanding feedback on the ground, not just from those who are in their office or in their immediate circles. It's also a way to give um, access to the press. One, instead of sending out a press release or doing 50 interviews around a particular topic, your tweet becomes your statement on a certain matter. A lot of power in that. It's moved, tweets have moved markets, you know, single tweets that have sent stocks up or down. Both from the private sector and the public sector. Yeah, absolutely. And additionally, um, recruiting talent and retaining talent. A tweet shouting out great work or highlighting an incredible team or a particular office means a lot to people. You know, it's, it's interesting what you say. U.S. News will be unveiling our um, current best countries uh, survey where we rank countries by different, um, uh, different subsections and categories. One of the uh, elements that will be revealed is that consumers and citizens want business leaders to be talking more about social issues and understand how business leaders are connected to, to, to social issues and have a higher degree in trust in many cases in business leaders uh, than they do in leaders in, in, in the public sector. Um, so from your vantage point, I'd love to get a sense of, um, you know, you've got a front row seat to seeing how leaders communicate. What makes for a successful leader today? Yeah, I think authenticity is first and foremost. You can't step into every cause celeb or talk about every issue. It's impossible and doing so would be quite risky. But what are the issues or causes where you can credibly and authentically connect and align? And in the best case, it also aligns with your company's purpose and principles. When do you step in? When do you step up? When are you willing to step forward? And the leaders who I think have gained a lot of trust are the ones who consistently and authentically step up for what matters to them, to their employee base, and also to their customers. So certainly being able to communicate directly has benefits. Mm -hmm. It also is the flip side and has some, some negatives. Uh, today there are different challenges than there were 30, 40 years ago. Um, I wonder if you can address from your vantage point what are some of the challenges that you've seen that leaders now face today? It's a great question. I think there's, of course, countless issues leaders face in their roles and as citizens of the world. Um, particularly on Twitter, I think it's so much more productive to articulate what you stand for instead of what you stand against. When you come out in a combative way or are directly addressing someone who you disagree with, that can cause conflict. Your employees may feel conflicted, your teams may feel conflicted, you yourself might feel conflicted. Whereas if you come forward and say, we stand for diversity, we stand for equality, we support people of all backgrounds, we care about the environment, we're committed to X, instead of what you're opposed to, that will gain more positive sentiment, it resonates far and wide, and even those who don't agree with you will have far more respect for how you've communicated your message. No, I think that's a great point. In the sense, Twitter is always on. Yeah. 
As a CEO, you're always on. You're always being watched. You can't fake it. You have to be authentic. You have to be true to the things that, that you stand for. Um, so just to step back again, leaders in general, are there leaders out there, not necessarily who've had a direct influence on you, and in fact, I want to come back to that as the next question, but who are the leaders in the private sector or the public sector that you admire, that you've respected, that, that you've learned from? Yeah, that's a, a great question. So it's funny, my background was actually in fashion media and journalism. And I pivoted to tech because I was following certain leaders on Twitter. And I became fascinated by what they were sharing, thinking, seeing. They had their, their eye on the pulse. They knew what was happening and they knew first. And I wanted to be a part of that. So I like leaders who think forward. They're forward-looking, forward-thinking. Instead of focusing on what's been or what's happened, they're focused on the future. Um, that to me is extraordinarily powerful. So some of the leaders I've loved following and learning from are women like Helene Gale, who's on the board of the Coca-Cola Company, CEO of the Chicago Trust. Um, Paul Pullman at Unilever really took to Twitter to articulate a lot of their sustainability goals. B. Perez at Coca-Cola is another woman I admire as a human being and as a business leader. Um, and then there are just my colleagues and my peers who I learn so much from daily just by them sharing their experiences and their realities. Anybody else that growing up or that has oh my gosh. had influence on you? Growing up, I was a news junkie. I was obsessed with magazines. I've always been really fascinated by media and communication in general. So authors, editors, journalists have really shaped my career trajectory. I love storytelling and storytellers. I consider myself a story keeper in many ways, from listening to my grandfather's stories to the ones I'm privy to in an arena like this. Um, that has what has informed who I am and how I see the world and how I kind of coach and guide others. Well, I guess you know as a former journalist that great journalism is about great storytelling. Yeah. So, and, and the best leaders know how to tell, tell the best stories. So, Absolutely. Um, so thank you for being with us. Thank you. Uh, I want to thank uh, Nola Weinstein for joining U.S. News and World Report at the World Economic Forum. Uh, it's been a privilege. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. In our next interview coming up, you spoke with Roger Crandall, Chairman, President, and CEO at MassMutual. Can you preview what this interview will touch on? First of all, Roger Crandall runs a very large company. It's a Fortune 100 company that is generating north of $30 billion in revenue annually and has north of 10,000 employees. So we're getting the perspective of an accomplished CEO running a very large company. And, you know, within that interview, there were a few points that he made that are important to think about. First of all, I love this perspective that, in a sense, we all have bosses. It's really the sense that we all have stakeholders that we have to keep in mind. But Mass Mutual is a company that doesn't have stockholders per se, they're really members. And he's got to think about his members. He's also got to think about his employees. He's got to think about his clients. And so all of that are stakeholders that he keeps in mind. The second thing is the notion that when you're selling insurance, you're selling life insurance here, you're really integrated into people's lives. And that means that you have to keep into context what is going on in the general economy because all of that changes in interest rates, economy, employment, non-employment, all have an effect on people's decision of whether or not they're buying life insurance. And then lastly, like most CEOs, 
they're dealing and he's dealing in a world of disruption. You touched a little bit about the, the scale and, and size of, of, the, of Mass Mutual and his leadership of that. How do you think he manages micro and macro level efforts? And did he touch on that at all in the, in the interview? Sure. From a macro standpoint, their company is very much dependent upon how the uh, economy is doing. Uh, but what I thought was interesting were some of the points on a micro level that, that he made. So, for example, we talked about his role as a CEO. And he thinks about his role as, is he doing something that only the CEO can do? And so, when you think about time management, he constantly challenges himself on whether he's doing something that only he can do. And, and if it's not, then he needs to delegate or he delegates to other employees. And that makes for a very empowering uh, environment where he's got to rely on leaders and his supervisors within the company to do, to do the work. That leads to an important culture, a culture uh, where there obviously needs to be very, very strong communication. He also understands, like all good leaders, the importance of having uh, the appropriate and the right, right values. And he talks a lot about doing the right thing. And that if he does the right thing, the environment understands that we need, and the culture within the company, that he needs to do the right thing. And then lastly, uh, on a go-forward basis, he understands as well as any CEO, that he is living in a world of disruption. And this is where you see a confluence of the macro changes and the micro changes, that the world now changes very quickly, and he needs to ensure that he's developed a culture where people can act quickly and with great agility so that they can respond to these disruptive changes. And he acknowledges that that is hard, but that they must do it. You'll now hear Eric's conversation from Davos with Roger Crandall, Chairman, President, and CEO at MassMutual. Let's start and jump right into it and talk about the macro issues. Sure. We're dealing with an economy that, for various reasons, skills, capital allocation, we're seeing rising inequality. How do you think about that? And how does that affect your business? Yeah, it's, 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 it's a great question. So let me kind of just level set a little bit. So first, as the name implies, we're a mutual company, which means we don't have any shareholders. We are owned by the members of the company who own our participating products. Mm -hmm. So it's an old way of organizing a business, but it's an incredibly successful way to do it for a business like ours, which is so long-term in nature. So we started in 1851, Springfield, Massachusetts. 31 people put up some money, started selling policies to friends and neighbors. Now we have 5 million friends and neighbors. Uh, so it's a pretty wild Lots kind of so the company was built on the back of really helping everyday Americans. Uh, and I think our industry, frankly, has fallen down uh, in terms of its important social purpose uh, to provide protection for all Americans. Um, so MassMutual is really focused on, you know, on this issue. Um, so I think there's a huge opportunity for us to use technology, which I hope we'll get a chance to talk about, to allow the estimated 37 million American households who have no life insurance at all uh, and who really need it more than, in many cases, the affluent people that do have life insurance. So mm -hmm. I think it's a, it's a, it's a really important uh, thing for our company to pursue. Mm -hmm. Keeping on the, the, the macro trends, can you give us some insights into some of the major trends that are affecting your industry? Sure. Well, 
you know, we are living in the same world everybody else is. So let's start with low interest rates, right? We're all excited that the Fed has raised rates a few times, but the 10-year U.S. Treasury is still like 2.75%. So the raw material for us providing returns to our policyholders is the capital markets environment and interest rates. So low interest rates have been pressuring our industry for, you know, for, for many, 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 many years now. The other is volatility. Uh, and what we saw in the fourth quarter, if you forgot that equity markets can go down, uh, volatility is a, is, a, is a really tough thing because some of the products we sell, we hedge in the capital markets, and that makes them more important, and more difficult to hedge. And then, of course, the fundamental uncertainty, you know, mm. the shutdown of the U.S. government, Brexit, hard Brexit, no Brexit, soft Brexit, what's going to happen with Italy, uh, and, of course, U.S.-China trade. Uh, so, we, you know, we live in that whole, that whole world. Uh, and, uh, and it makes the business tougher uh, kind of every day. And then overlaying all of that is we live in the most exciting time of technological change in human history. Uh, but that means our industry, like so many others, is going to be disrupted. And I think we're very early in that cycle. But I think the next five years is going to be incredibly transformative for the life insurance industry. So today you're a leader of a company with over 10,000 employees, yeah. approximately $35 billion in annual revenue, yeah. Fortune 100 company. Yeah. I doubt you have a typical day, but, but, but what are some of the things that you make sure to think about or prioritize every single day? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So I think a good question I try to ask myself is, am I doing something that only the CEO can do? Right. And if I can delegate it to somebody else, I try to ruthlessly, ruthlessly delegate. On the other hand, I think it's really important for a CEO uh, to, to meet and talk with, with front and middle level employees. Mm -hmm. uh, you can get caught in the proverbial corner office, which for many companies doesn't exist anymore from a, from a physical standpoint. Um, so I try to, to make sure I talk to people both inside the company and outside the company, and particularly talk to customers and clients. Um, what's on their mind? What's focusing? Uh, what are they focusing on? And what can we do to, to really meet their needs uh, better than anyone else? You're an international company. Yeah. As, we, as we talked about, 10,000 employees. Communication is a key tool, yeah. uh, important trait of being a leader. How do you communicate? How do you have all these conversations? How do you keep in touch with employees and your clients? Yeah, so um, I do, uh, I do uh, annual meetings where yeah. both virtually and physically yeah. meet with all employees. Uh, I particularly love doing something we call conversations with Crandall, where <laughs> I meet with about 100 employees in a, uh, in a uh, kind of a, almost an Oprah-like kind yeah. of setting. Um, and uh, give them a chance to ask me absolutely anything. It ends mm -hmm. up being half business, half personal related. Mm -hmm. uh, and I do that uh, with our younger employees as well, the, the uh, Conversations with Crandall Intern Edition, <laughs> it's called, mm -hmm. every summer. So those are opportunities to try to, to, to kind of get around the company and, and meet with more folks. So those conversations are no doubt an important part of, of setting the culture yeah. in your company. And I know that culture for you is extremely important. Can you talk a little bit about how you set the culture in your company yeah. And then also, how do you use uh, your benefits, often uh, you know, widely considered very progressive, yeah. um, to um, add to that culture? Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's a, again, great, uh, great question. Mm -hmm. um, so we're trying to keep the best of, of the traditional mass mutual mm -hmm. culture, which starts with a company that was built on the bedrock of integrity. Mm -hmm. and, and our business is so long-term, it's literally hard to wrap your head around. Our oldest policyholder is 108. She's been with the company 91 years. Okay? No normal human being thinks about life insurance anyway, so <laughs> just bear with me for a second here. Most things that you buy, switching costs decline over time. Right? Your phone gets old, you know, it's easier to switch to a new phone. Right? As you get older, your mortality cost goes up. For permanent life insurance, switching costs grows. So we have a lot of policyholders that are with us 50 years, 60 years, 70 years. 
Um, it takes us about 10 years to hit break even on profitability when we sell a product, but then again, company, the person's a member of the company for 40, 50, 60 years after that. So really long-term time horizon. So that's great. I don't have to trade off a shareholder who might want shorter-term returns with a policyholder that's inherently kind of longer-term. That is great, and, and, and we need to kind of think about that. And the company has a long history of just doing the right thing. Uh, and the story I love to tell is I got a letter from the insurance commissioner of the state of California. Now, normally when I get letters from insurance commissioners, you don't open the envelope <laughs> with a big smile on your face saying, ooh, you know. But this was a great letter. It said, Mr. Crandall, we want to thank you and congratulate MassMutual for using the Social Security death master file symmetrically. All right, what is that? A normal person would ask. Well, Social Security system started, I think, back in the, in the 70s or probably 80s, every month putting out a list by Social Security number of every American who passed away. And somebody at MassMutual, or more likely a group of people, sat down and said, this is great. We're going to use this to pay death claims on the one hand and to stop paying disability income and annuity claims on the other. We used it symmetrically. Mm -hmm. Well, it turns out almost every company in the industry didn't use it symmetrically. Mm -hmm. There was a big 60 Minutes expose about it. All the regular characters got involved. Everybody changed their practices, paid some fines. Um, I loved getting the letter. I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> I stood on the shoulders of people right. who made good decisions. So we remind our employees all the time, you know, acting with integrity and, and thinking for the long term is kind of the baseline. So that's, that, that's key. But what we're trying to do now is create a culture that is quick and agile and can respond to what's going mm -hmm. on in the world. Um, and it's hard when you've got a company that's rated double A plus, the same as the U.S. government by Standard & Poor's, has grown from being the 13th biggest seller of life insurance in the United States in 2005 to the second biggest seller mm -hmm. in 2017, record capital, you know, what's what story? What could go wrong? And all you have to do is look at how technology is disrupting everybody mm -hmm. else. So the key to creating sustainable competitive advantage is not products, which particularly in our business, we have to file them with insurance regulators, you know, everyone can see them. It's building a culture that can be quick, adaptable, and part of that is focusing on creating a diverse and inclusive culture, sure. and that's what led us to think about things like benefits. Um, so there were some really little things, like I have not worn a suit and tie in like months. Um, here, there's a lot of meetings, and it meets our dress code, two words, dress appropriately. Right? So completely appropriate if you're meeting with people here, wear a suit and a tie, normally I wear jeans, uh, and it just changes the feel of the work environment. Um, you know, we also recently did away with all of our executive titles. We had six layers of vice presidents. We had the assistant vice president, the vice president, the second vice president, the corporate vice president, mm -hmm. the senior vice president, the executive vice president. People got more focused than my vice president on what they did. So by doing away with those titles, we sent an important message that your job is more important than kind of your title. We're building a new campus in Boston. Um, we have a building there right now. I don't have an office in that building. Um, I sit at a bench, I plug in, I put my earphones in, I do my work. People do a double take when they walk past me mm -hmm. sitting there. So that, that culture of creating a, a collaborative environment is kind of key. And benefits, uh, I've been, you know, you can get good and bad emails. There's nothing better than getting an email from someone. We introduced the benefit two weeks of caregiver leave for who, any, anyone you need to care for. And of course, in the sandwich generation, their kids are moving on, maybe they've come back home, now their parents are aging. I've gotten so many nice notes from employees mm -hmm. saying, guess what, I used all my vacation last year to take care of my mom, now I'm going to use this caregiver leave to do it and maybe I'll get to take a week vacation myself. Mm, so two weeks for caregiver leave was one example. Um, we've gone to offering uh, uh, 18 weeks of maternity leave for new mothers. Bereavement leave, we went to 15 days bereavement leave and it's just uh, if you lose someone you love. 
you know, no longer parent, brother, you know, three days for this, one day for this. And, and that's up to you on your family circumstance and, and, and your life to decide, to decide that. Um, and then we added three paid days time off to go volunteer somewhere. Uh, go and just volunteer to anything that, that matters to you. So things that, that help set a tone about people bringing their authentic selves to work and then people being their best when they come mm -hmm. to work. And bottom line, we want to treat our people like grown-ups, mm -hmm. and we think we're going to have a more engaged workforce as a result. Very exciting. Yeah, no, great great points. And uh, as you know, we live in a knowledge-based economy. Absolutely. It's, yeah. it's all about the talent. Yeah. Um, it's ensuring that the talent fits in with your culture. So yeah. when, when you as a company think about recruiting talent in the 21st century, um, you know, how do you ensure that you're, you're developing a diverse and inclusive workforce? Yeah. And do you also take into account, does this person or will this person fit into your culture? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. Um, so <coughs> first, I think diversity and inclusion is, is so important. Uh, I, I was very fortunate. I've been in the president of Mass Mutual now for 10 years. So I got this opportunity when I was relatively young. And I remember I was talking to um, uh, my head of HR, and we were talking about what was I going to focus on. Now, it was December 2008. The world was melting down, right? So it was very clear, you know, and I'm an investment person by background, you know, that I kind of knew. Um, and I said, you know, if things, and I, I realized the average tenure of a CEO is whatever it is, five, six years, a little bimodal, you either get blown out quickly or you have a chance to be around longer. I was optimist, I'm going to be around <laughs> longer. Um, I thought, what could, whether I'm in this job for five years or, or, or 15 years, what could transcend that whole time period? And diversity and inclusion was clearly one of those things. At that time, Mass Mutual did not have any employee resource groups. Um, we had not done any diversity training other than you know the bare minimum, frankly, to meet you know kind of legal protection kind of requirements. So we began a journey that has led us now to having eight not employee resource groups but business resource groups because we view them as partners as we grow the business. Uh, to Mass Mutual being recognized uh, as a as a leader in diversity. Um, by having uh, diversity metrics as part of our annual bonus incentives and publishing our uh, diversity metrics uh, for the world and our, and our employees to see. Um, but it's been an ongoing, ongoing kind of process. So I think now continuing that because you want to open the funnel to bring all the best people mm -hmm. to potentially kind of come to work. And then when you're there, they're there, you want them to be as engaged as possible. So I think it's really important when you're bringing new people in that they have an opportunity to interview a wide variety of folks. You know, not just one or two people, but a wide variety of folks. We always like to have diverse slates, so we're making sure we're getting kind of different points of view. Um, and, 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 and taking the time, right? Especially when you're running kind of really fast, like, oh, this is the perfect person, let's grab them. Um, so I think it's really important to make sure you're, you're having everybody, you know, look at that. And then ultimately, our company has a purpose. You know, we want to help people secure their future and protect the ones they love, right? We want to provide financial well-being to all Americans. Mm -hmm. We're about to have our 168th anniversary this year. You know, we're going to be around another 168 years. You know, we're not talking about this for a week or two, and we're going to try to get the, you know, you know, something to happen. And that has proven to be really powerful with young people, because again, no one thinks about our business until you need to think about it. And guess what? When you talk to someone who is out on a disability claim, when you talk to someone who's had, you know, an early premature death and has life insurance and has changed the family. It's, it's, it, it really is a powerful thing. So I think that, that purpose is really, really, really critical. And then if you create a culture that's inviting, inclusive, and then you give people the opportunity to do their jobs well, it, 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 creates, it, it just creates wins that you can't even imagine how good right. the wins are, <laughs> are going to be. Yeah. So again, I'm really, really, really lucky to be able to do that. 
Let's talk a little bit about leadership now. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly, you lead by example. Your example that that you wear jeans it <laughs> shows the office and your it's employees, okay to wear it's jeans. okay to wear jeans. Right. Um, in the 21st century, and we've talked to a number of different leaders how leadership has cha changed. Um, there's many qualities that are always important uh, mm -hmm. for a leader. Um, talk about what you think are the most important traits for a leader in, in today's world. Yeah, I think um, a really important one is authenticity. Mm -hmm. um, I think two of the hardest things for anyone to, to say is, I don't know or I've changed my view. Yeah. Um, and I think particularly senior executives who have typically gotten into their roles because they have deep subject matter expertise, they're really good at something. It's very easy to think that you actually know everything. Um, so I think authenticity is important. I think that willingness to step back. Um, I think it's really, really, really important to demonstrate agility. Um, boy, if I knew what the next five years was going to be, it'd be a lot simpler. Yeah. Um, so I want to create a, you know, an environment um, where, where people think that way. Um, and I think it's also really important for leaders to lead from the front. Um, I, you know, I, 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 I had the, um, the good fortune to, to see a lot of companies in my investment career, and I always noticed that the CEOs who really knew the details of their business um, you know, tended to have better performing companies. Um, so I've always thought it's important for a leader to actually also understand you know, kind of what's happening on a day-to-day -day basis. We're, we're living in a world that's marked by huge disruption. Right. We're seeing globalization, we're seeing increased amounts of effects of technology on businesses. Yep. We've talked about a competition for, for talent. What are the challenges that you're facing and that you see leadership today facing? Yeah, right. So I think, I think at Mass Mutual, we, again, have to deal with all of those issues. Um, I, I think one is the need for certain technical skills right now. There's this major supply-demand imbalance. So it wasn't all that long ago that it was the tech companies hiring, the data scientists, and, and, and the programmers, and the designers. Uh, now it's every industry. Right. So, and that, that'll eventually, markets have a funny way of figuring things out, but it could take a while. So I think one is, is kind of the, the, the war for talent, which was the word you know, the, that you heard used back before the crisis, is, is kind of back. So again, that's where having a company with a purpose where people can understand you know, what they're coming to work for, I think is, 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 is really important. We talked about benefits already, you know, putting together a benefits program that re is reflective of employees' needs. Um, and then we talked about culture a little bit, creating mm -hmm. a culture where people, you know, kind of like coming to work. Um, but that, uh, that, that need to have broad, you know, thinking. Um, I, I, I love the other day uh, listening to uh, uh, the CEO of a large tech company ask, what are you telling your 17-year-old to study? And they said liberal arts. Yeah. Now you better you better know how to code a little yeah. bit too. But I just yeah. I thought it was back to the future in the sense yeah. of a well-rounded thinking person yeah. is really what we're looking for. Essential to critically think in, in today's age. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So last question, two-part question: Who are the leaders that you most admire, and can you identify a person, a colleague, a family member? that's had an impact on how you think and, and on your values? Sure. Um, so look, I, I think a business leader that I've always admired uh, recently passed away was Herb Keller, the founder of Southwest Airlines. And I, I was the airline analyst for many years, uh, so I got to meet him, got to invest in the company. Um, they actually bought a company we had an investment in, uh, and he built a culture. Right? There's no more commodity than an airline seat. Right? <laughs> uh, and he built a culture uh, that, that you know, really put customers first, 
Uh, it's the only major airline that didn't go through a bankruptcy. Uh, it is the airline that started, you know, out of nowhere, you know, in Love Field in uh, in 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 in, uh, in Dallas, uh, and uh, uh, you know, we lost a, an amazing visionary and an amazing business leader. And uh, uh, it's interesting. A friend of mine sends out a gratitude list every morning, and on his gratitude list the other day was. I'm grateful for Southwest Airlines and the culture that Herb started. Mm. I thought that was pretty wild to see that. So Herb, I think, is a heck of a business leader. Um, in terms of my own family, uh, I'm very fortunate uh, to have uh, a couple of folks that have really influenced me. Um, one is my grandmother, uh, who lived to 99 years old mm. and grew up through the Depression. Uh, and she hammered into me, it's always better to have a job than not have a job. It doesn't matter if you like the job, go to work. Um, so I got that work ethic yeah. from my grandmother in the Depression. Uh, and then my dad, uh, who actually spent his entire career selling for Mass Mutual. Uh, mm -hmm. I had no intention of ever going to work at the place, by the way, and uh, it, it, it worked out that way. Um, but again, he, yeah, he showed me the importance of, uh, he was a salesman, and you know, trying to, to know something about people. Um, and then on the business side, my uncle Bob Crandall, who was the CEO of American Airlines. Uh, and I got to know him as my uncle, but I also got to see him as the CEO. Uh, and he was, you know, one, you know, tough CEO, mm -hmm. but boy, in a tough industry. Uh, and particularly, he knew his business. Uh, so uh, I think that clearly influenced my thinking about uh, making sure leaders understand what's going mm -hmm. on in their business. Well, you've had some some great role models. Yeah, so, very lucky. So, very so thank lucky. you for sharing that with us. Right, thanks. This is U.S. News World Report at the World Economic Forum, talking about 21st century leadership. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you for the time. Thank you. Eric, thank you for coming on to share these conversations from the World Economic Forum Conference. We'll see you soon for another Leaders Talk episode. Thank you so much. And thanks to our listeners. Please subscribe to our podcast, rate it, comment on it. And if you have money questions related to personal finance, investing, real estate, or careers that you'd like answered on future shows, please email wealthofknowledge at usnews.com. We'll review your emails, and we'll try to answer a few on the next episode. Additionally, if you'd like to see video versions of these and more Leaders Talk interviews, please visit usnews.com leaders. Thanks for listening to Wealth of Knowledge. I'm Antonio Barbera. We'll see you next week with another episode in the Leaders Talk series.